appreciate your prayers. Also, uh, Linda's uh, stayed home tonight. I told her to stay home. She was in a lot of distress from being out there in the barn, right, Mary Lou? <laughs> and uh, we just got a week until the uh, annual big barn sale. And there's so much to be done. So anyone that can go out next week, uh, we won't have any time to do it this week uh, anymore. But uh, uh, next week, we've got to finish strong, kick it into second gear, and get everything priced and set out and ready to go. And I'm going to, once again, be uh, working with the hot dogs and coney dogs. Mm -hmm. and surprise, surprise. And uh, <laughs> I, I make it my promise every hour I will do a, uh, a check on, uh, quality on the quality control <laughs> of those items so that just for your safety, Yes. Your your safety. It's nothing. It's not about me. It's all about safety and quality. And uh, so we, we need people to volunteer to have baked goods brought in and and bring in other products and things to sell. It's the main fundraiser for the women's ministries, and, uh, and you're sitting on some of their ministry money. Yeah. They they they're not stingy with it. They give it back to the church from the parking lot to the. Uh, working on the missions house and all kinds of things like that so we appreciate any help you can give in the upcoming barn sale we did not get any update from the Baileys this morning uh, George Bailey's eldest son was having a lung transplant and uh, donor became available and we haven't heard anything back yet. Very intricate surgery. <clears throat> so I think we're ready to begin. Uh, the popcorn's on, the coffee pot's there, there's water in the fridge, and, and there's two and a half goodies back on the back table left. But uh, stuff <laughs> at home. Let's have a word of prayer and get started on the grand finale, the final evening of Second Samuel. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we've been able to spend in these two great books and learn principles for following you and the consequences of when we don't. We ask your blessing as we finalize this study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you would turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. I really ought to keep track of how long we've been in here. It's been a while. Yeah. Can you give us some insight on where we're going next? <laughs> yeah, I will. Last page of my slides. Oh, awesome. All right. I think you should read a verse by verse a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that might thin the crowd. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to do a story on... No, we're going to do Lamentations and the Joy of the Lord. That's the whole thing. The Joy of the Lord and Lamentations. Joy of the Lord. <laughs> oh, my, my. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning with verse 11. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, 
Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. Leading up to this, if you weren't with us last time, David and the people of Israel have gotten into a, an arrogant mindset that they can just do whatever they want to. They've got large armies and nobody can stand against them. And unbelievable victories that have been won. They forgot that the Lord gave them the victory. And David, it was put in his heart, the scripture tells us by the devil himself, to number the people and take confidence in, in how many uh, fighting men you have. Even his uh, chief of his chief general said, Don't you don't want to do that? O king, hasn't God been faithful? Hasn't God, it doesn't matter how many we have, God's been faithful with however, he could have said, don't you remember, it was just you against the giant? And you were quick to say, the Lord gave you the victory. But they've gotten into that, that sense that they could handle anything. And the Lord says, I'm setting judgment. I'm going to let you pick your poison, so to speak. And uh, that's where we pick up. Gave him three options, but only one choice. He couldn't choose none of them. He couldn't or wouldn't want to choose more than one. But three choices. And, uh, because the people and David thought that numbers could solve the issue, solve the problem. When we think we're big enough that we can handle it without God, mm -hmm. we're in a heap of trouble. And sometimes we find in Scripture the Lord says, okay, go ahead. Have it your way. Do what you want to do. And uh, as the old 60 song, it's your thing, do what you want to do. And uh, there are consequences for it. David and the people thought they could handle anything with large enough numbers. What are some other things that people think they can handle any of life's crises if they just have enough? What? Money. Money. Yeah, they, they think that money is, is uh, uh, can throw money at it. It, it. That's the government's philosophy, isn't it? Yes. If all else they'll throw money at. I, I, contemporary news in Columbus is just frustrating for me. I don't know if anybody else gets frustrated. Uh, Linda has to keep sharp objects and, and breaks away from me when I'm watching the evening news. But all these uh, shootings and uh, gun violence on the short north. And so what they're going to do, they're going to throw $500 million at it. That'll teach it. Throw $500 million at it. Uh, we, 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 can, we can throw all the money we want at something. doesn't mean we're, we're going to accomplish anything. What are some other things that people think, well, uh, if I have enough of this, I can handle anything. 
I can handle that. I can, I can handle that. Think of anything else? You heard the story about the the man who wanted to buy a new suit, right? I told you this, right? You can't remember. Okay, I can tell it again. Your memory's as bad as mine is. Philip walked into Remember when we used to have Schottensteins down on Tower Parsons and, yeah. and they had the best suit department on planet Earth. Uh, I miss that place. Well, the guy walked into Schottensteins and, and uh, he said, I need a new suit. And he says, well, we've got suits on sale over here uh, for uh, $29. It's really, $29 for a, a wool suit? Yeah, $29. He says, they're factory seconds. And those of you who ever shot the shot the scenes do you have to you have to look at the product. You had to look at the product. How come there's three sleeves? I don't know. It's a factory factory set. Well the guy said, try it on, try the suit on. It's only $29. And he tried it on. He says, Well, this sleeve over here is 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 really long. He says, uh, does uh, tailoring come with this? No, we don't. It's $29 for the suit. He says, but what you do, you pull that up here, tuck it against your side, and it's just fine. And he says, well, the pants leg over here is way long. He says, well, we don't offer tailoring, but if you don't put your hand in here and pull it like this, and, 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 and the, the coat's a little large. He says, well, you could, no, you just pull your shoulders towards the front. And he says, there you go. I, and he collected the $29. And man, walked out of shopping states. And there's a woman and her son walking out front. And, and the little boy says, oh, look at that poor man. And the mother says, yeah, nice suit. <laughs> Took my family there. It's like five kids. 
uh, you, you'd help us. I said, yeah, I still will. Have you gotten in church? No, no, I'm too busy. Well, he came in the last time, and uh, this is the last time he came, as a matter of fact. He came in, it was Fourth of July weekend, and he says, uh, I, uh, me and the family, we, we like to have steaks over the holiday. He says, I, I found an old grill. He says, but we need steaks. I said, I don't have steak. We're doing hamburgers and hot dogs. <laughs> but uh, you know, if I just had a little bit more, I could handle it. I don't need God. And that's what had happened to the people of Israel. And God gave them three choices. Do you remember what those three choices were? Well, three options, one choice. You had to pick one of three. Like the old, uh, uh, let's make a deal. Do you want what's behind door number one, door number two, or door number three? And uh, you didn't know what was back there, but you had a hunch. Verse 13 tells us, you could have seven years of famine, or be on the run from your enemies for three months, or three days of a plague, a disastrous plague. Uh, what, what do you think was going through David's mind when he heard the, the options? What would be going through your mind? Yeah. Uh, many people, uh, the whole nation is going to suffer because of my mistake. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, leadership sometimes we get what we deserve yeah I'd be thinking what would be the least bad right that would be the thought and that's what David did in about seven years three months three days we can handle three days right I mean who couldn't handle three days yeah ironically this is the same punishment that God leveled on the Israelites the last time they took up a census in the wrong way. <coughs> they got, they got yeah. the, the, the plague. Mm -hmm. uh, don't learn. Uh, so what, what else would be going through David's mind at this point? He didn't repent until after this, you see. God was angry with him and angry with Israel for their choices, but it wasn't until after the plague started that he really began to repent. He, he was sorry that God was upset with him, but he didn't really intercede for the people. And as was mentioned, the leaders, if we put leaders into a position of leadership, they can do things that is harmful to the whole of the people. Possibly you'd be thinking, if I don't agree to this, who's going to follow me? I can make this future decision. Yeah. He, he's he's second-guessing himself anyway at this time, at the end of his life. He's second-guessing. He had just a couple chapters before said the last words of David, if you rule over men, you must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. And here... 
yeah, we can handle this. We have enough people. He knew he shouldn't have. He was advised against it by his commanders and his uh, generals. But he thought he knew best. And, uh, I mean, seven years, boy, that's a long time. And three months running from your enemies, three days of a plague. Do you notice that all three of these options, the people really can't do anything about, no matter how many people they have? You know how you know the population of the world can't stop a famine in Africa. Uh, if your enemies are chasing you down, you're on the run. And as we learned a couple of years ago, when a plague hits, it's hard to stop. So. The prophet Gad comes to David and says, Go erect an altar. This is after David repents. David, uh, he picks the one, and then death begins to follow the plague. You say, Well, was it fair? Was it right? The people had also developed an attitude we can handle whatever life throws at us. Because we're strong and we're mighty. David's our king. These are our mighty men. When we think that we can handle things, as we were talking last time, uh, we all know in the sports world, teams that couldn't lose until they got to the big playoff game and they looked foolish. We've rooted for many of those teams, haven't we? Yes. You know. Uh, oh my, my, my. I remember the first Super Bowl that my Bengals were in. I was so thrilled. I'd taken so much bad stuff from everybody over the years. And they were playing, and we had Sunday night service, and I'm in church. I said, don't anybody... Tell me what happened in the game. I'm going to record it and watch it when I get home. Don't you dare. Got home. And before I could get the VCR, I turned the TV, somebody turned the TV on, and it was our star player fumbling the kickoff in the end zone. <laughs> we had been ahead until we weren't. We were supposed to win that thing. Whoa! The Browns were supposed to have won a few, weren't they? And, and the Indians, oh my goodness, my Indians, my Indians, I forget the name of the pitcher now, oh, Mesa. Jose Mesa. Jose Mesa. 1997. We had the game one. Yeah, one out away. One, one out away. And he had the guy three to one in 
bitches. And the Sandy Alomar, the catcher, signals curveball. Because the guy couldn't hit a curveball. All during the and Macy goes, oh. He waves him off. He says, well, slider. He says, okay, fastball. Fastball right over the left field wall. So, the people had thought that they could handle anything, but all of these situations, there's nothing they can handle. There's nothing they can handle. Uh, they've been warned time and time again, and yet, so what happens after the plague starts? I mean, what? how much damage can something do in three days? A whole lot. And it finally gripped the heart of David, and he cried out to the Lord, Please, stop. And it wasn't a complete three days yet. And the Lord stopped it. And the place that that plague, like a dark cloud moving across all of Israel, stopped, was on the top of what we know today as the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah. And the Lord spoke to David through the prophet, Go, verse, verse 18, Go erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up to the Lord, as the Lord commanded. Now Aaronah looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. So Aaronah went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Aaronah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withheld from the people. Aaron said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to you. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements, implements and yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aaron has given to the king. Aaronah said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. This is one of my favorite lines. Then the king said to Aaronah, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. That spot where the plague stopped, the altar of the Lord. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. What are some lessons we can learn uh, from this this single story 
people of Israel and David? What are some lessons, some significant lessons we can learn? Don't get ahead of God. Don't think that you can handle it without God. Don't, uh, yeah, I got, I've got this, God. You can, you can just, I got this now. How many of you ever, you may not have said those words, but you thought you could handle the situation? I got this. Yeah. And uh, sometimes the Lord has to let us get handled by the situation. So we realize, now, I need the Lord. I need to be submitted to Him. What other lessons can we learn from this part of the episode here? Yeah, Andy. Pastor, one thing I want to add is sometimes people they do have a lot of success mm -hmm. over years of their life, and they do it a lot of times just through hard work. And they think that's the whole key. And, it, it just, and then they'll have a failure, and then instead of turning to God, Many times it'll, 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 it'll turn to anger against God. Right. Like, how can God allow this? They'll, they'll turn bitter against God, but they never really rely on God anyways. They, they've been relying on their own hard work. And so Makes no sense. Either. But like Israel, they had a lot of great successes, and that's I think that they had that pride built up with the great king and all their successes in battle that they had. They thought, this is, we don't really need God. They forgot that the victory was the Lord's. And he led them along for the ride. I, I, I don't want to just tell my stories here. Any of you had experience with your father or some person letting you help them even do a job even though they really didn't need your help? Any of you have any experience with that? Just me. He used to paint those two story houses up here in Ohio. We would know we didn't know what we were doing, but we got to do it you know, just to hang out with him. So that's stuff you learn. Yeah. He could have done it without you probably quicker. Faster, yeah. You know, quicker. More efficiently. Cheap. Yeah. I was helping dad, you guys, some of you many probably remember the fuses that were the little glass. Oh my. Like a light bulb yeah. sock or whatever you screw yeah. it in. So this is way before some of your time. He's working on this electrical box and I'm sticking my, not only really helping, sticking my nose in there, standing there barefooted and he's oh. in rubber shoes. And it went through both of us. Yeah. I heard about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I don't know. Uh, you, you probably are a whole lot more skilled than I. Uh, my dad, uh, I held a flashlight, <laughs> and I, I could, I could, I couldn't do that right. Please, my dad. <laughs> Can you hold it steady? I'm trying. I'm trying. But uh, he didn't need my help. He could have done it easier, quicker, cheaper, better, a lot less stress. But he wanted to take me along with him and try to teach me something. Sorry, Dad. It didn't work, but because I'm still not very handy. But the various shouldn't have been in that sentence. I'm still not handy. Uh, but Dad tried. We would be out. You remember the old days when you had to 
change the points and condenser in your adjust the points and condenser in your automobile. Yep. Anybody remember? Yep. A little and set the spark plug. You change the spark plug. You had to set the gap. Yeah. 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 Stay on the steamer. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, Dad was out. He had high hopes for his three boys. He had high hopes. But we were a waste. Now Tom picked up on some of it. Barry and I, nah, not so much. I told you about my brother Barry. I don't know if he's watching tonight or not, but I'm going to tell it on him anyway. My brother Barry, smartest in the family, skipped a grade or so in school, brilliant, straight A's, honor society, all this stuff. An engineer, just smart, stinking smart. <laughs> Outdo you anybody in a Bible quiz. Well, Dad, he had a 50, I think 53 Buick, and Dad says, uh, I want you to go out and I want you to put the antifreeze in the in the Buick. It's getting, it's getting cold, and she's put the antifreeze in there. And he came back in a little bit later and he asked Dad, says, Dad, what do I do with what's left? And Dad said, There, there should be none left. I put it in all six of those holes on the top of the thing. <laughs> Dad was not pleased. Dad, Dad was not pleased. A brand new battery. But, uh, uh, Dad was trying. He didn't need us. And he could have gotten things done a whole... He could have had the engine running, the paint job done... The, the board cut, uh, the leak fixed without any of us, but he wanted to bring us along. God's like that. He doesn't need you. You say, well, he sure does. You know, who's going to evangelize the world? You know, uh, who sang the praises of the birth of Jesus? The angels did. He, he could commission angels and, and do these other He brings us along. Sometimes I think he brings us along for laughs. But <laughs> look at Gene. Look at that fool. That idiot leader. Uh, but he brings us along because he wants to invest in us. Learning that the victories are his, not yours. And he, he lets us walk with him or hold the board with him or, or uh, hold the paintbrush for him. But the victories are his, and he just wants you to be a part of it. It's a lesson to be learned. Yeah. But you have to want to help. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just a burden if you don't want to help and you make I was a burden, and I even wanted to help. Talk about Spars, Father Edward. Yeah. We have to want to, to do what he wants us to do yeah. and help. We don't desire to be with him. Growing up, uh, Saturday mornings, you know, Dad would have different projects in mind, and uh, he had a standing rule. He would say what time he was going to be in the car, ready to leave, to go do something, and if you weren't in the seat, ready to go, you got to let. And so you had to, you know, 
push and shove. Sometimes all three of the boys got in there and sometimes some of us were sitting at home. And you didn't get to spend time with Dad. You only got to see Dad during the, on the weekends because of his work schedule. Get a one B. Get a one B. What are some other lessons we can learn from this episode in David and Israel's life? <clears throat> the decisions that we make can affect more than just us. Yeah. Yeah. You're not an island. You're not alone by yourself. The decisions that you make affect others. Mm -hmm. You say, well, no, not me. There's just me. And no, your, your decisions affect others. Hello. <laughs> the decisions you make affect others. But uh, uh, they ripple out. They ripple out.
But they had to have some reason for having that land taken away from the Jews. But, uh, no, they say that that's where it is, but uh, Jewish, seem, Jewish historians suggest no. Because it would seem that it almost, because at least from what I remember, several possible location for the actual temple wasn't there. Right, right? <clears throat> somewhere else on, on that area. But yeah. it would seem to me that the Jews would build if they knew that that was the location, that that might be a place where the Jews would actually build a temple over top of that location. No? I, I can tell you I, it might take me a few minutes. Yeah. Do I have a few minutes? Yeah. Try and go that way. Uh, these are these are a compendium of stories related to uh, the rebuilding of the temple. We know that the temple was rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, you know, after they came back from, from Babylon. Solomon's temple had been destroyed, scooped it off the top, and uh, just rubble left. When the Israelites were permitted to come back 70 years later, they rebuilt the temple, but it didn't have the glory or the grandeur of, uh, of that place. It was a smaller mound top. Mount Moriah is a mountain slope, okay? And it goes up, and there's a number of undulating high places on Mount Moriah, on what we call the Temple Mount. Well, in the time that we're talking here, it was just an open area called a threshing floor. So it was not uh, a stone rock that <clears throat> you had built something upon at that point. It was open land. And a threshing floor, you wanted several things on a threshing floor. Well, what would you want on a threshing floor? Uh, what, what, is a, what in the world is a threshing floor? Grind yeah, you, you grind down the grain and you take a winnowing fork and you throw the grain up that's been crushed down by uh, oxen trampling over it to break open the, the, the wheat and the wheat comes up and down the chaff blows off the top of the hill and uh, so it was a high place and a flat high place. Mm -hmm. But they reverenced that as the place where the plague stopped. And it was exactly the same area where Abraham went up. Now the second temple, less in grandeur, uh, was there for quite a few years until King Herod came on the scene. It was in that location on the Temple Mount, but it occupied a small area on the, the crest of Mount Moriah. But Herod never wanted to do anything small or tiny. So let me try and give an illustration. <coughs> Let's say that this fist is the top of the area of Mount Moriah. And the temple would have been up in the center part of that area 
flat. King Herod says, no, no, no. I want a big place. He built a platform on top of Mount Moriah. Extended it out with walls and retaining arches and basically flying buttresses underneath so that the walls that you see this is a diagram of the Herod's temple you see the the temple mount was just basically a small spot uh, Herod says no we got to go big or go home and so today, the Temple Mount that you can visit is this area right here. And on the one side is uh, El Aska Mosque. And over here is a shrine, the Dome of the Rock. And the... <coughs> Wait a minute, I've got the wrong angle. Over here would have been the El Aska Mosque. Here in the courtyard of the Gentiles is where the Dome of the Rock is. And the temple was off-center from the... I'll pass this around. Is off-center from where the Dome of the Rock is. And archaeologists, Christian archaeologists, have, have figured that the... The way that the city was built and the current walls were not the walls in King Herod's days, but they were several hundred years later. But they built them on the same foundation of the walls and the gates that were there. So when you're over on the Mount of Olives, looking towards the, the uh, Temple Mount, right in the center, you'll look and you'll see the Eastern Gate, okay? When you're standing there, you look, you see the Eastern Gate. And as you're standing, that's one of the cool things when we, we rent a spot in the uh, one of the private gardens of Gethsemane, and we have prayer time, and I always ask people, look, where's the Dome of the Rock? It's over here. But the gate, the Eastern Gate, that Messiah will one day come through, that he will come in, and they open wide the gates, it's in the spot where the temple will be built. So, at this point in time, the Lord is holding back the rebuilding of the final temple, and we don't know what His timing on that is, but we know another temple will be built so that everyone can know what the symbolisms of the temple really were. So, for the, the Muslims to claim, well, this was the, the spot where the stone that uh, he was lifted up upon, no, Abraham built an altar. It doesn't say he sacrificed Isaac on a stone. It was a flat area. So, you say, well, why did they build the if they were trying to stop the Jews from having Messiah come in, they boarded up the walls, they bricked up the walls of the Eastern Gate. They put a cemetery in front of it because no good Jew can walk through a cemetery and go up to a temple. They did everything they could to keep Messiah from coming back. 
Why didn't they put their Dome of the Rock over that? And the traditions are these. That uh, when the Muslims had conquered Israel, they rounded up some of the, the Jewish sages and rabbis and said, uh, where, was the, where was the temple? Where was the temple? And they said, uh, let us confer and we will get back to you. And so the Jewish sages reasoned this way. If we tell them that the temple was over here, they will, they will, they will build an edifice there and Messiah could never return. If we say it's over there, uh, they, they, they will build it in the wrong place. And But one of the wise sages stood up and says, no, they won't trust us. We'll tell them exactly where the temple would have been built. And they will look at us and say, they wouldn't tell us the truth. We'll build it over here. <laughs> That's stories and mythologies about it. We don't know. But uh, when you go up to the Temple Mount today, uh, you will see that in accordance with that huge area there, there was what was called the Temple, the, the Court of the Gentiles. That's the location that the Dome of the Rock and El Aska Mosque are built upon by the Muslims. It was a place where Gentiles could come and see the glory of God from a distance. And that open spot on the other side is where we believe the temple will be built. Here you can see this is the Temple Mount, those outer walls are the restraining walls, retaining walls. And he, he made the Temple Mount for the second temple was about the size of a football field and a half. But the court, the Temple Mount that Herod built was 10 footballs. <coughs> And as you look, and you see, there's the eastern gate. And way over there is the Dome of the Rock. And this is all totally empty over here, except for one pavilion that the sages call the Pavilion of the Holy Spirit. That they believe marks the place where the Shekinah glory abode and the Ark of the Covenant. But, so that place, where the flakes stopped, the very location on Mount Moriah where Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac, and he says, the Lord himself will provide a lamb. A couple thousand years after that, God did. God provided a lamb called Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. As John the Baptist looked up and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus, when he went up to the Temple Mount, you recall, 
says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. And they took him outside the city walls and crucified him on the lower slopes of Mount Moriah. And as you go up the slope, you'll find a garden tomb there. And carved there was a, a tomb where Jesus laid for about three days before he rose from the grave. I wanted to try and see if you can... This is basically that picture on your screen. And this is the... Oops. Don't do that to me. Okay. I won't do that. I'll leave that alone. I'll use another pointer. This is the El Aska Mosque. You can no longer, Gentiles can no longer go in there. Uh, it's huge. And when you walk inside, I've, I've been in there previous times, but you're not allowed anymore. Uh, it is covered by priceless Persian rugs. And they will kneel on those and face Mecca. They do not reverence Jerusalem as any part of their holy city. They wrote it in, uh, but it's not in the Quran. And then the courtyard of the Gentiles here, this is the outer retaining wall of the, of the Temple Mount. Over here, the Dome of the Rock. And then way down here, Straight across from the Mount of Olives is the Eastern Gate. And this area is totally wide open today. That at any point in time when God says now, his temple could be rebuilt. Not for the sacrifices of animals, but to let people know what the blood of the Lamb was all about. What that every part of this temple represented Jesus Christ in his sacrificial workforce. And uh, but if if that was the site of the, of the temple, that's where the eastern gate would be. Because it said that the Lord himself will descend, he'll set foot on the Mount of Olives, right over here. Mount of Olives. Not Mount Scopus over there. Mount of Olives over here. And he will come down. An earthquake will split wide open. This cemetery right here is a, is a Muslim cemetery. Because they know that a good Jewish boy can't walk through a cemetery and then go up to a temple. They're unclean. Well, there's not going to be any bones there anymore when an earthquake splits wide open. And he will walk right in through the gates of the eastern gate and straight up and sit down on the mercy seat of a new temple and he'll reign forevermore. Thanks God. But the land was purchased, not donated. David's classic line is, I will not give the Lord that which cost me nothing. Living the Christian life, if, if it were totally easy and no sacrifice, But it is tough sometimes, isn't it? Following the Lord is not a 
an easy ride. But don't give the Lord something that didn't cost you anything. Psalm 20 and verse 7 says this, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. A bitter lesson that David and Israel learned from these three options of, of penalties for their arrogance. But it came to a place. Now David didn't get to build the, the temple. He was a man of war and says it's going to be a, a man of peace. And so Solomon was able to build that great and glorious temple. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I don't have time to go into much more of it tonight. But uh, we're, uh, we're coming down to a close in our study of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And I'd like for you to look back with me. Any other questions or comments on the, the stoppage of the plague and where it stopped and the significance of it? It stopped at a sacrifice. The plague of sin stops with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The plague of sin in your life and mine stops with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we call upon the name of the Lord, we can be saved. And the plague stops through the shed blood of the Lamb. Tom, did you ever hand up? I, I was just going to say that God knows our heart, and He knows, knows David's heart. Yeah. So when David repented, God knew that it was, it was real because He just, just yeah. stopped plague and actually repented. And they couldn't help him. Yeah. And God, uh, you know, the, there's all kinds of symbolism in this story. Uh, the place that the plague stopped, the three days that stopped the plague, and the three days that Jesus is in the tomb and came out in victory. We're not <clears throat> held captive by the plague of death anymore. We're set free by the blood of the Lamb. And in Christ, we have victory over death, hell, and the grave. Praise God. Amen. Yes. Uh, did David, according to that, repent? Yes, he did. All, no, wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> Because he was looking out for all the people that were innocently getting hurt for nothing because of the plagues and everything. And he was the one that was going against God. And he was the one that was, he was talking to the angel or to God that he didn't want the people to suffer because of him. Well, I think it's That's a both and. Right there, I, th I think it's a both and. You see, the Lord was angry with Israel and David because of their mindset of arrogance and the numbering. So it wasn't just David, but David was a reflection of the attitude of the people that the Lord was angry. His, his wrath was aroused. And God sees our hearts. He also knows, as Tom mentioned, He also knows when we mean business. You know what I'm saying? Have, have you ever talked to somebody that they said all the right words, <coughs> but their heart wasn't really in 
repentance. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be a judge, just trying to be a fruit inspector. Uh, they, uh, they're saying all the right words, but they're not, it's not there. And God saw that he meant business. And he stopped the plague. That's it. He didn't have to, but his mercy is sufficient. Anything else about this before we kind of capsulize our study of First and Second Samuel? We've been in it for quite a while, but I trust that we've learned a few things. Uh, the key characters, Samuel, Eli, his boy's name, Hopney and Phineas, and uh, we uh, <clears throat> and King Saul, King David, Jonathan. What are some things that uh, you've picked up on as we've been studying about all of these characters and all these episodes in First and Second Samuel? Anything at all? <clears throat> Regardless of, of, of Saul and, and how he was so, he just wanted to destroy David, his son, Jonathan, and, and David formed such a bond. started off great, didn't he? 
said he was turned into another man. He would prophesy and sing praises. But the highs and the lows, as Quentin mentioned, are evident throughout. You see Eli, the great, the high priest, and yet he did not rule his own family in righteousness. And it cost everyone. The whole nation of Israel was affected by Eli's neglect of his family. I don't want to belabor. Anybody else? Thoughts or things that struck you in our study of First and Second Samuel? I know we've been in here for quite a while, but yes. We weren't sure when we started. It looks like, according to my notes, we started in this in March of last year. March of last year. Mm -hmm. So well over a year. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and I, We're not in a hurry. No. <laughs> yeah. I always, before this, I always thought David was always a man of God. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know he was so bad. But God, still, but God still loves him all the time, no matter how bad he got. But he didn't, he didn't uh, candy coat it with him either. No. God's love did not exclude David from God's justice. Amen. And uh, God will judge sin. You know yes. how he said that he never knew David was such a bad guy. Like me, I always do all the bad stuff he was supposed to have done. So when I would hear people say, oh, he's a man after God's own heart, I'd think, huh. And, you know, after this study, I still see a lot of bad in him, but I just, God still loved him through it all. And God used him. God used him. Yeah, and that's, that's good, in a way, because I can look at myself yeah. more now and say, well, God good. really does love me. He can use us. We're usable. We can be used of God. Yeah, I, I can be. I don't know what, but I'm going to be used one of these days, I guess. Well, well we're being used in a variety of ways. When you stop and realize, we may not be, any of us, be used the way that David was as far as being <coughs> king over, a, over an entire people and having the skills. He was a songwriter, a, oh, yeah. a shepherd, all of those things. Don't you just look at some people and say, it's just not fair that they have that much talent. It's just not fair. I remember uh, our superintendent, Brother uh, uh, Parsons, uh, we were talking one time and, and he said, uh, you know, Ken, I look at Dan Betzer and I say, it's just not fair. He can sing. He can preach. He can do dramas. He can write. He can do radio. He can do television. Mm -hmm. He can do. He can build churches. It's just not fair. <laughs> but Brother Parsons was one of my spiritual heroes, and uh, may not to the extent of of a Dan Betzer, but he did what God called him to do. Yeah. And uh, I'm a product of that. 
Well, we're going to uh, put the brakes on our study of 1st and 2nd Samuel. Uh, we're going to move on here in just a second. Pastor. Yes. I think you lack confidence in yourself because I think you're as good at all that stuff as anybody can be. Uh, we're proud of you. I think Lord bless his ears.
Yes. Uh, Vickery and Denzel, the young boys that we bring on Wednesday. Uh, they what? They're the young boys that we bring on oh. Wednesday nights. Uh, they were both sick tonight, and so I just told them that we'd be praying for them. Okay. Vickery and Denzel. Also, Al Ponzani is a brother of a good friend of ours, Don, who used to tend here.
light unto our path. We can hide its word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Father, we pray that as we think about the lives that we've studied in this book of First and Second Samuel, that we would determine to lean ever heavily on you. We wouldn't think that we've got the victory sewn up or that we can handle it. Keep us dependent, leaning on your everlasting arms. We pray, Father, that you keep us in that safe place of the hollow of your hand. We lift up the prayer requests that have been mentioned and those unspoken requests, those situations that we don't need to know about, but that you're working on. We're praying, Father, for grieving families and for situations that you know what needs to be shared and what needs to be spoken. And I pray, Father, for your guidance and direction. I pray, Father, for you to continue to be with our, our leaders and Wednesday nights and Sundays, Sunday school teachers and children's church. It's tough work. But Father God, we pray that you would give them senses of victory. The enemy would just point out the challenges and the problems. Father, show them they're making a difference in the lives of others. We pray, Father, for your traveling mercies as we go to our homes. And as we leave this place, send us across the path of someone this week that we can tell about Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Next week, we'll see you in five Olympians.
gathering around the altar at uh, was up in Maslin. We're going to have prayer at midnight. We're going to bring the new year in prayer. And this one couple, elderly couple, they were just sweet as anything. And they had gotten each other watches for Christmas. And they played the Yellow Rose in Texas. And they knelt down. And so he tries to shut it off. He starts again. And so she's reaching over. Hers started again. So, Yellow well, Rose was attacks it. Mike goes, what the hell? He's getting all bad. I'm like, can't help it. No. It brought, brought levity to the house. Brought levity. versions on the phone have that little speaker in the corner. You don't want to hit it.